Hi, it's Mark Raven here. If you are a fan of our podcast, you'll want to attend a free webinar that we'll be presenting October 18th, one o'clock Eastern. I'll be presenting with Ken Siegel, the CEO of Value Capture. It's titled Seizing the Healthcare Safety Opportunity Using the Playbook of Paul O'Neill. You can register for the free webinar by going to valuecapturellc.com slash webinars. We hope you'll join us live, or if you hear this after October 18th, you can register to get the recording sent to you. So again, valuecapturellc.com slash webinars. Welcome to Habitual Excellence, presented by Value Capture. This podcast in our firm is all about helping you and your organization achieve habitual excellence via one unifying focus, one value-based structure, and one performance system. In other words, it's about helping you capture dramatically more value through achieving perfect care and perfect safety for patients and staff. To learn more about Value Capture and our services, visit www.valuecapturellc.com. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Habitual Excellence. I'm Mark Raven uh, from Value Capture. And we're joined today. Our guest is Dr. David Zass. He is the Chief Executive Officer for the MUSC Health Charleston Division, and he's the Chief Clinical Officer for MUSC Health. Uh, he's a pulmonary and critical care uh, medicine physician with an interest in advanced lung diseases and lung transplantation. Dr. Zass's research interests have focused on improving outcomes from lung transplantation, including the role of infectious complication and organ rejection. He's also actively engaged in the, edu- engaged in the education of students and graduate trainees, as well as being a leader in hospital administration. So before I tell you a little bit more about his background, Dave, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you for having me, and I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, it's a great opportunity to, to hear your thoughts and to learn from you today. So. Um, before jumping into that, let me share a little bit more about um, Dr. Zoss's background. He graduated from Yale University in 1994. He completed his medical degree at Northwestern University in 1998 and did his internship and residency at Johns Hopkins Hospital. He completed his fellowship training at Duke in pulmonary and critical care medicine in 2005, formerly serving then as medical director for lung transplantation at Duke. And then he joined the MUSC faculty in 2020 and is a professor of medicine um, again at MUSC. So, you know, we're going to talk a lot today about lean management systems, um, something you've been involved in, you know, for a while. Um, you know, if, if, if some of us would frame lean management systems as a solution, maybe we can first talk about some of the problem statements that might make a lean management system necessary and helpful. How, how would you define the problem statement? Like, What are, what are the biggest pain points um, that, that you see and have seen? Now, thank you, Mark. I, I think all of us in healthcare and all of us that have been committed to the quality and safety and high reliability journey consider us students of, of lean, uh, right? We were, and we're constantly learning. And I think the question of the, the problem statement for me has really evolved over the last several years. Uh, and it really started with the that commitment to zero harm, the commitment to our people, uh, to building our teams, and honestly being frustrated that we weren't achieving the sustainable excellence that I knew we were capable of. 
and, and over time, as I've matured in, in my learnings, I realized that, you know, the problem statement uh, to your question that we're trying to solve, how do we best support our people? How do we ensure that all of our amazing team members in healthcare have the ability to thrive in that role that they serve? And what is our role as leaders to support them? So that's the really the passion and problem statement that motivates yeah. me. Yeah. Um, how, how has that problem statement changed or evolved in the last couple of years with COVID and all of the different pressures um, for patient care, pressures on care providers? I think it's become even more of a burning platform. Uh, it's become more important for all of us to understand, right, throughout the pandemic, we quickly had it to go from just a mindset of emergency management. And we got really good at emergency management. But we realized right, this wasn't a 24 to 48-hour emergency. This wasn't a 30-day emergency, right? We're now two years in. And we realized that the importance of building process, building teams, the importance of resilience and grit uh, is by far the most important thing we do as leaders. Um, and, and not just putting out the fires, which we got really good at, but really doubling down uh, on that commitment and, and really as leaders, staying above the moment-to-moment -moment crisis to really help support our teams with what they've needed. So it's been a leadership challenge that I think all of us in healthcare would have said we would have never imagined. Yeah. So that, that, that phrase, you know, staying above it is interesting. I mean, in a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders would sort of dive down or swoop in or, you know, rush to where the proverbial fire or the, uh, the real emergency is how, how I'm, I'm curious, you know, from, from, your standpoint, how do you find the balance between empowering and delegating people at the front lines, you know, without being completely disconnected, without swooping in to solve it for them? Like, how, how do you find that balance? So it's a, it's a tough question. And I think we've all learned and hopefully matured over the last two years. Uh, I, I think I would recognize myself that we probably made mistakes in the beginning as leaders that we did jump in uh, and try to solve problems and help our teams, but then needed to reflect that, right, those problems are going to be best solved locally. And we have amazing, compassionate, dedicated care team members that we need to not only empower, support get out of the way uh, at times and remove barriers when needed. And the scope of the problem and the challenges were so broad and great that we quickly learned that, right, accessibility, communication, removing barriers were absolutely critical, but our teams were coming up with markedly better solutions mm than our leaders ever could have as individuals. And the, the cycle time, the pace of change and improvement is something I've never seen in over 20 years of leadership, of wow. teams on the dime being able to adjust to new protocols, new policies, stand up new services, connect outside of our, our hospital walls, 
So, right, our, our command center and our leadership engagement was absolutely critical, mm. but most so to be coaches, right? To be mm. coaching our teams, to demonstrating our values and principles, um, and also empowering them that we had total trust in their ability to really save lives across South Carolina. Yeah. Well, and you, know, you talk about being compassionate. We can be, you know, compassionate um, about mistakes. And, and, and that includes, as, as you said, I think, you know, leadership mistakes. Um, you know, the, 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 the key, I guess, is practicing what we preach about continuous improvement, right? Recognizing the mistake, reflecting, addressing it, and, and instead of just continuing to repeat the mistake if and when it's recognized. Could you, could you share a little bit more about maybe that reflection and improvement process around that mistake as you described it? Yeah, I think it's important uh, for all of us to have that humility and that, that structured reflection as, as part of our leader standard work uh, and part of our team standard work, which we've started to develop. I transitioned to MUSC in June of 20, uh, as the pandemic was really just starting. And, and I think the tendency of all leaders, myself included, as a new leader in organization sometimes is to come in and take action, especially in the setting of a, of a crisis. Right. And, right. And when you don't know the team members, but it was an amazing opportunity to quickly reflect that we weren't going to be successful unless I could really ensure that my goal was to make every member of our team better, that I would empower them, give them a seat at the table to create uh, their voice uh, and allow them with the ability to innovate like they never have before. And it was exhausting and the hours were long for all of them. But I, I said, there has never been a time that I've been more proud of that team and a leader. And, and sometimes people reflect and say, well, you picked a, an interesting time to, to move organizations. And I said, you know, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to get a chance to lead an organization at any time. But especially in a time um, over the last two years throughout the, the pandemic, um, and, and I would hope, uh, I know can speak for myself, that right, it's been very humbling and inspiring uh, to be able to watch the excellence. Uh, we talk a lot about our mission of improving the health of South Carolina and beyond. And when I speak with our team members, I say, you know, We've always been very mission-focused organization. In the last two years, we have made more progress toward that mission than any time in our 200-year history uh, because of what our team members have done. And, and that, I think, is important to reflect on when you're tired, when you're short-staffed, uh, when life is hard yeah. to really reflect on the impact that the team has had. So that sounds like... An answer to the question of how do you build resilience and grit? It sounds like what, what, what I hear is saying is reminding, uh, you know, bringing it back to purpose. So I, I think it's, um, maybe I'll start with two or three components, Mark. How do we develop trust in our teams and in our community? And, and I think 
that trust is absolutely critical to developing resilience and grit. I think uh, our team members need to have trust in the organization, in our leadership, and, and at times of stress, which we've lived through, that trust becomes even more important. But my hypothesis is, right, those organizations and leadership teams that can develop trust in their teams, trust in their patients and their community, right, will achieve excellence. They, they will, you can demonstrate resilience, you can develop grit. And, and it's important, right, if you break down the components of trust to think about the importance of not only, right, the competency and skill of our team, but maybe more importantly, right, getting back to our values and thinking about integrity and compassion. Um, and how we demonstrate that to all of our team members. So, right, we doubled down uh, on leadership availability, visibility, communication, openness uh, every day. Um, and we were really learning things every day. Um, and, and I think what led to our success and you know, success of a lot of organizations around the country right, was that ability to again, foundationally develop trust within your care teams in order to build their resilience. And the reason I link those two together is it's right, the resilience is uh, our obligation as employers. It's our obligation as leaders to give our teams the, the ability to develop that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think those connections make a lot of sense. It seems like uh, if people aren't feeling that trust, if they if if they don't trust their leaders, they're not going to speak up about problems. They're not going to ask for help. They're not going to share concerns, and then you know that could then maybe lead to uh, you know to, to to burnout. So I think the well, so I'm curious, before I ask another question, I'm curious to hear your thoughts or reactions to 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 that idea. You know, what happens if the trust is not there? I think I think it leads to burnout and turnover, and it impacts patient safety and quality and all of our outcomes. And we try to connect it back again to our principles, right? The, the trust comes foundationally right back to respect for people uh, and how we lean on those principles uh, and demonstrate that every day uh, as coaches for these teams. And one thing to, to highlight, MUSC, we're still early in our journey, all right? We're still building our improved 2.0 management system. And, and when we were early in the pandemic, we really accelerated our lean management journey. Mm. And some people questioned and said, you know, we can't add additional work to our care team members. Right? They're trying to survive. We can't ask them to start doing something else. But we foundationally believed that actually trying to advance our lean journey at the same time as we were during the pandemic. I wish we would have mm -hmm. been farther along in our journey. I think we would have been more prepared. Yeah. But we, it was really vital, I think, to our success to really advance our lean journey at the same time that we were putting out fires. Mm -hmm. in dealing with the immediate crisis because it brought us back to principles, behaviors, process, uh, communication every day. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's great to hear, um, you know, leaning into it, you know, during the pandemic, as opposed to pulling back from the structures and the methods of of a lean management system. But, you know, you focus, you know, I, I love hearing you talk about principles, like principles should remain completely solid and consistent, regardless of the day or the week or the crisis or a new normal. I mean, it seems like what, what, what I hear you saying is um, holding to principles builds trust. I've heard people describe more simply, you know, you build trust by doing what you said you were going to do. Like, all right, well, then maybe that's one layer of it. But then it seems like, um, you know, showing that these, these principles don't bend in challenging times builds um, trust and, and, and all sorts of positive connections to your care team. I think it's, I think you're right. And I think it's important. And I think it's important to say it's more than just doing what you said. It's your, it's your intent and your values. And, and I really believe that our team members can feel it. Uh, and we have to demonstrate it. Um, and there's no doubt over the last two years, we've had to reflect and pull ourselves back to principles and behaviors, right? We all have this natural tendency to get caught up in the tools and caught up in actions. Um, and our team, and I'll credit my, my leadership team, has done a good job of pulling me back at times and saying, right, let's go back to our, our principles and make sure that we are following those as we move forward. Um, and, and right, as leaders, with the crisis around us, how do we role model uh, right, the compassion, the calm, the integrity uh, to support those teams and and not jump into the moment. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit more about you know how you would how how you define a lean management system. But first off, can you give a little bit more context? You you, you say you're early in the lean journey. What was some of the time frame? Give us a little bit of you know, kind of maybe the high level history there at MESC. Yeah. So uh, again, several years prior to my arrival, uh, the commitment to quality and safety from the MUSC team really, I think, started this journey. And we built the improved management system, uh, our quality coaches, um, and we had a commitment to our, our values and mission as an organization that I think goes very deep. Um, and in, in all honesty, really was what attracted me uh, to, to take a career move and a, a leap due to the, the commitment to values and mission uh, of the state organization here in South Carolina. At the same point, we hadn't hardwired uh, those behaviors, principles, or all of the lean management tools. We recognized in the first few weeks I was here that you know, we didn't have robust tiered huddles. We didn't have a, a clear help chain. We hadn't fully implemented A3 problem solving across the organization. And, and that was when we realized that more important than ever, right, those basic tools were going to be critical for our success. And we were fortunate enough to recognize early this was not going to be short-lived. And so our planning and our structure design was we need to build a long-term management system 
because this is no longer just an event or a crisis. This is going to be how we're going to going forward. And the hypothesis that if we build this now, it's going to benefit our operations, our organization, the excellent care we provide, right, for decades to come by building it. And, and we're going to have an urgency now to build it more quickly because of everything going on uh, around us. Um, and our leaders, to their credit, uh, really embraced it. And we didn't we didn't give it a big brand or a logo or a communications platform. It was, this is how we're going to lead and the tools and resources to support our teams um, and build that without some of the typical launch of a new initiative, um, but really built those behaviors, principles, lean process that have helped us. So then remind us the exact phrase you used. Was it management system 2.0 or what, what it was? It was something like that. You do use some language there, right? Or is, so, that, or is that just you informally? No, um, we used it amongst our leadership team. Um, mm-hmm. Although there was two things that were may helped our decisions. One of which is we had embraced the improved management system previously. Uh, Our team members were familiar with it. It was the foundation that really led to a lot of our safety and quality improvements over the prior years. So rather than adding something new, we wanted to build on that foundation, but really hardwire the behaviors and principles uh, and some foundational lean tools. So we we called it Improve 2.0 because we weren't... Mm -hmm. We weren't pivoting. We weren't going in a different direction. We were building on the foundation that the team had built, but we realized we needed to focus on those principles more and we needed to make sure that the tools were widespread and we had them developed in leaders and teams. But the core that drives me in this journey, right, is that ability of empowering our teams as problem solvers every day not just in the pandemic, but every opportunity they have and developing our leaders as coaches and and really pushing that down. So we quickly redesigned daily safety huddles. We quickly redesigned tiered huddle structures. We quickly redesigned help chains and problem solvings because we needed every care team member, not just our quality safety team, to really be the problem solvers across the organization. And I'll highlight our facilities team. We talk so much around our clinical care team members that have just been outstanding. But we forget that every member of our organization was impacted. Our EBS, our facilities, the examples of innovation, of how they do their job in the setting of the pandemic and the challenges were just heroic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's great to recognize all of that. And, you know, when you talk about doing a 2.0, you know, you're, you're recognizing that whatever happened before wasn't all bad. We're going to we're gonna make it better, which yep. that seems like part of the mindset right there of um, whether we call it continuous improvement or lean or whatever label or phrase we give to it. So that's, that's great to hear continuously improving the way you're improving care, the way you're, the way you're improving processes. That's, that's the way it should be. It seems. 
Yep. And I think we still have a long way to go. I think we recognize, right? We we need to get to 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 over the next few years. And that's not just from our team development. That's from my development as a leader, uh, as well as our team uh, of how we continue in that journey and how we learn together. Yeah. So let, let's, let's dig a little bit more into, um, you know, some of the components or the practices or the tools, if you will, uh, within uh, the lean management system. You've mentioned a couple already, and we've, we, you know, we've talked to some other guests previously on the podcast about things like daily tiered huddles and A3 problem solving and help chains. I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more from you about the help chain and what how that works. But are, are there other major components within the lean management system that you haven't um, that you haven't brought up yet? So uh, I'm sure there is, but I'm trying to uh, think around what's best for your for your audience, Mark. Here, as we're trying to to focus on this, what I would highlight really is the the focus in each of our areas is truly our people. Uh, and I foundationally believe that we are building these tools to support our people and that we have amazing team members. And if we give them the skills, if we lead by example, right, the outstanding results follow. Um, and I'll use an example, maybe through uh, our evolution of safety huddles. And again, we had a commitment of five days a week leadership engagement in, in safety huddles, but it was leaders going to the front line to solve their problems. It was leaders receiving a list of problems from team members to go fix. Um, and we've evolved it to really um, empower those team members to not only right, recognize the great work that they're doing and their team members to share their successes and where they've hit barriers. And I look over the journey of the pandemic and despite the staffing challenges and stress, the engagement, the feedback, the enthusiasm, the cultural change within the organization. When I look at my experience at Duke and some great teachers and mentors on my own lean journey and here, the most profound impact I see that maybe we don't talk about enough is the impact on culture, right? We talk about, we can reduce harms 50%. We talk about eliminating waste and the financial impact. For me, what's most exciting is the impact on our people and how we create culture through building these tools. And I hope all of us that are listening and all of our leaders believe, right, that if you, compl- if you really create a healthy culture uh, that really gives everyone the opportunity to thrive uh, and being intentional in that word, that everyone needs the opportunity to thrive. And how do we use our lean tools to create culture right. is the is the critical success factor. It, I mean, it, it seems like it all goes hand in hand where let's say focusing on people is a mindset and a, a, a principle. And then there are behaviors that come out of that. Um, it seems like there's a lot of you know, yin and yang or chicken and egg here where um, you don't just snap your fingers and change the culture. You've got to do some things and practice and be coached and improve. And that starts becoming the culture. Um, it, it, it seems like focusing on developing the culture then leads to 
improvements in other outcomes, right? We have a better culture, which includes people being engaged, workforce and, and, and people hopefully being happier, which means they're participating in improvements and uh, that, that, that drives better outcomes than as a result and, and probably then leads to you know, people wanting to stay, uh, reducing turnover. We've heard so many stories about that. I mean, it seems like they're, they're become uh, virtuous cycles, if you will. These connections between tools, culture, principles—it's—it's it's all. It's, it, it seems interconnected the way you talk about it and the way I've seen you know uh, from others. I think it is, and I think it'd be an interesting reflection to say: Does that help determine the long-term success and sustainability? I think a, we can easily learn the tools and the techniques. What will allow this, them to sustain them, to be embraced, and to really drive, you know, sustained excellence is that importance of the focus on the, again, principles, behaviors, culture that we create. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that. I, I think uh, in all of our journey, I think sometimes we we focus on the shiny objects. We focus on the tools and, uh, and and I love the tools, but realizing the impact, and I, I reflect on where we are as a team now compared to two years ago, and I can feel the difference. You can hear mm. the language. You mm-hmm. can, uh, of how team members and leaders are thinking and processing, and we're really early. Again, we're, we're nowhere near where we, we need to be. Mm-hmm. But what excites me and what I'm proud of is to hear and feel the difference of how we approach those challenges every day that we see and that we really embrace it. Um, One of my favorite coaches who you know well uh, taught me something early in my journey about, you know, finding these problems and others are treasures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I laughed a lot when I uh, <laughs> treasures because right. I was like, I got a whole treasure chest. <laughs> uh, yeah, but right, that's creating the culture of leaders and teams. Right, the ability to see problems as treasures and embracing the opportunity to solve it together, and that pride and working on it together. Um, that's more important than what the visual management board looks like and how neat their, their huddles are and others in yeah. terms of driving the impact. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's very well said. I wanted to, of all the different things I could ask you, let me, let me go back to the help chain thing for a minute. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that works within the context of the tiered huddles and what information does flow upward? What calls for help do flow upward or should flow upward within your context? Yeah, no, um, a, a lot that I can share there. Again, as I said, our really our tiered hall structure um, didn't exist. Uh, we sort of were missing the lowest level and we were missing the highest level as, as we started. Uh, and we're a new health system. We're rapidly growing and we've integrated eight community hospitals. So we, at the same time as we were doing this, had to realize we needed to bring into our health chain and our tiered huddles, right? Not just our four hospitals in Charleston, but our eight other hospitals around the state of South Carolina. So the 
first component that we built was really, again, standardizing how those frontline teams huddled, but at the same time, senior leadership committed that, right, we were huddling daily, focused around safety, senior leaders from across the system, and and really then, so what do we need to know to have each of those be able to be appropriately as cascaded. And I think it's important that for us, we've really emphasized that cascade is bi-directional, right? And especially during the pandemic, right? Our tiered huddles were not only valuable for me as a leader to understand, you know, needs, barriers, problems, challenges, but huddles were equally important for us to cascade the dynamic information that was changing every day. And we need to to live those values and behaviors from our teams, right? That we were present, but we were also now having to do this virtually and having to trying to build tiered huddles and lean management systems in person in my prior life. And now trying to do it virtually are very, very different challenges. Uh, And we had to be innovative and creative of how to do it. We also, as part of, we've got a longstanding commitment to just culture. Um, and and focus and, and our teams here. One thing that we quickly realized that I think this plagues healthcare in general is sometimes raising the help chain is viewed as a sign of weakness. Uh, and there's a perception from team members that, you know, trying to fix it on their own. Uh, and we had to go through a few iterations and, and are still, I think, on this journey of how do we really create a culture that the using the help chain is not a sign of weakness. It's a critical safety element. Right. So team right. members are aware uh, of challenges, uh, right, that impact others and how we really map that out. But um, we're all high achievers. Uh, our team members don't want to disappoint us. Um, and, and we had to address, as I think many organizations have, that you know, you can map out the help chain, but if you don't change the culture about why we're using the help chain, that it's not a sign of weakness, that it's a part of teamwork. And again, going back to our values and behaviors, right, that living that um, was absolutely essential. And I think, right, we had to go back and we realized, right, why are we think, not hearing things through our tiered huddles and, and help chain? And it wasn't that our team members didn't care or weren't working on everything we were doing. It was really having that cultural impact of why the help chain is so important and why we want to rely on our tiered huddles to support them and the outstanding patient care they deliver. Yeah. So Dave, maybe um, one final topic here, um, kind of thinking about the intersection of, of goals and principles and a couple of really important areas. So first off, you mentioned earlier, zero harm as a goal, um, focusing on the methods and the culture that would help you get there for the, for the benefit of patients, you know, and for staff, I'm glad you mentioned just culture because that's, you know, an important, uh, piece of it there of, um, you know, showing respect and not blaming people for, um, systemic problems. So I, I wanted to ask you maybe to elaborate a little bit on, on using that goal of zero harm in a way that's inspiring because, you know, the, the, there's a common pushback. People will say, well, that's a journey or uh, zero is not possible or 
it's discouraging. They said we're going to get to zero and we we haven't gotten there yet. Like how how do you make that kind of a positive aspiration that 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 keeps people working at it? Yeah, so I it's a great question that has come up as we really started this journey. Um but I think it's important to strive for those, you know, infinite goals that we will never achieve. And we talk a lot about striving for perfect patient care. Um, while we will never achieve perfection, right? Why would we ever aim or try for something less? If we were the patient or the family member, Right? Why would we ever strive for anything less than zero harm? If we think around the workplace injuries and workplace violence that's really increased post the pandemic, right? We need to strive for zero harm and perfect patient care every day. And I think it gets to that importance of building trust with your care team members, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. explaining why striving for those goals that are always just out of reach is what our patients, families, and our team members would expect every day. And how do we make that inspiration? That's not disappointing when we don't get there, right? It's But we're getting closer every day. And we're going to learn from every time we come up short. And if our goal and our commitment to the residents of South Carolina and to all of our team members, then that needs to be that that aspirational goal. So I try to incorporate it into my language and my newsletters. We define harm very broadly, right? Harm isn't just our hospital-acquired infections, right? Harm, each one of us in every of our areas can identify, right, what are those harms? that we want to eliminate. Whether it's a hospital bloodstream infection, whether it's too long of a wait for an appointment, whether it's sending you the wrong bill, uh, whether it's an employee, right, that gets the wrong paycheck uh, because we don't have our internal processes correct, right? Every day, striving for perfect patient care, striving for zero harm. I think if we, again, go back to our principles and our behaviors to our teams uh, is really inspirational to to me. But I think it's, again, we need to be storytellers. Uh, And we've had to be storytellers probably more during the last two years than we ever had through our leadership career. And I think this is an important part of the the story. I worry when people say that zero harm and perfect patient care aren't inspirational, then we really need to be thinking differently and focusing on telling our stories of why there is nothing more inspirational than perfect patient care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I agree. I like to, to me, it's inspiring. And, and I think it comes back to the issues you've raised already around culture and trust and one organization leaders might throw the phrase zero harm around, but staff feel like, well, you're blaming us, you're punishing us instead of working together to create the conditions and the processes and the mistake proofing and all the things that we would do to significantly reduce errors that lead to harm and, 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 and making it psychologically safe for people to speak up about risks and near misses so that we can fix things and get closer to zero harm. Yeah. And more important than ever, I mean, I think zero harm 
to each other, to our own care team members, is more important now than any time in my career, both from what they went through during the pandemic and threats to their own health and safety of their family, to the workplace violence that we see today. So uh, I think the zero harm commitment for us, again, is both to our people and to our patients. Uh, And in many ways, focusing on zero harm to each other is absolutely foundational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so then the final goal and and value that I wanted to ask you about, when you talk about uh, staff, you you talk about harm and, and there's a focus on preventing physical harm, of course, but then, you know, different types of, um, I don't know if, if you will, emotional harm or mistreatment or inequity. Yeah, how, how do you incorporate goals and values when it comes to diversity and inclusion in terms of, as, as Paul O'Neill um, always stated, making sure everyone's treated with dignity and respect in every interaction with every person every day? How, how, how do you define that? So that's an an exceptionally important question over the last two years when we look at the impact of not only the pandemic uh, and health equity uh, and health disparities for vulnerable populations. After many of the murders of George Floyd uh, and others and the systemic racism that we've seen in our society, that that commitment to our values and behaviors and principles uh, applies equally well, or maybe even more importantly, to uh, how we handle diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, And it's important in in every health system. Um, And it's clearly very important here in South Carolina uh, with a lot of our history and challenges um, in right. the past. Right. Part of that, I, I'll go back to earlier, is focusing on our humility. I know after the murder of George Floyd was soon after my arrival, and that humility, that ability to listen and learn, to understand the pain and the impact on our community to see the challenges that we've had over the last two years. And as leaders to show our commitment uh, to realizing that we are, as we strive for perfect patient care, right? We're also striving for health equity. We're also striving for, as I mentioned earlier, that ability to have an opportunity for everyone to thrive the only way that everyone can thrive in our community right, is really embracing our diversity. The only way that our team can really achieve excellent, sustainable results is through valuing our differences and our perspectives and ensure that we are high-performing teams and able to create that sense of inclusion. I think it's been a really hard two years for our team members, not just from COVID, um, but from the challenges in the world around them. But for leaders, and I I will speak for myself and our team, it's important that we put those issues on the table, uh, that we have those discussion, 
in that we really learn from our team members. And we still have a long way to go. I mentioned earlier, we're early in our lean journey, uh, right? We have a long way to go in our journey towards health equity uh, and true diversity and inclusion and elimination of racism. But that commitment to achieve that goal uh, and the humility to embrace it uh, and to embrace our shortcomings, but to strive mm-hmm. for perfection. Right. Well, thank you for you know aiming for you know as as you as you called it um, you know in, uh, infinite levels of performance, whether that's a hundred percent or zero. Uh, you know, Paul O'Neill would use the phrase, um, you know, theoretical limits as, uh, you know, uh, aspirational, inspirational um, goal backed up by the culture and the mindsets and the behaviors that that you've told us about um, here today, Dave. So thank you for, for all of that, for focusing on all those um, important challenges. Thank you for bringing up health equity um, from a patient perspective and a community perspective as well. Thank you for connecting the dots on all of that. No, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. So I appreciate well, it, Mark, and appreciate all that you do. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, thank you for, for sharing everything that you did today. And I, I know it's going to be really um, helpful for, for the people listening. So again, our guest today uh, has been Dr. David Zoss. Um, he's the CEO for the MUSC Health Charleston Division, and he's Chief Clinical Officer for MUSC Health. Um, Again, thank you so much and um, look forward to talking to you again sometime. Keep, uh, keep it up with the journey. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening to Habitual Excellence presented by Value Capture. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and please also rate and review it in your favorite podcast directory or app. To learn more about Value Capture and how we can help your organization on this journey to habitual excellence, visit our website at www.valuecapturellc.com.